This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Time now for our regular fortnightly corridor with Dunedin Mayor Aaron Hawkins who joins us on the line now. Morena, Aaron, good to have you with us. Kia ora, good morning. Uh, let's turn to what always is at the top of the page. It seems uh, COVID-19, Otago South on topping 10,000 uh, reported infections. Uh, we've got... What is it? Nearly 6,000 active cases in Dunedin at the moment. Um, seven with COVID-19 in Dunedin Hospital. Very real for us all, isn't it? Um, except perhaps for a bunch in the middle of the octagon. Is it time to move the protesters on? Uh, certainly, I disagree strongly with their message. Uh, and, and in fact, I think the message is dangerous. Uh, and I personally would prefer to say packed up and went home and certainly it feels like there are more tents set up in the Octagon than there are people staying in them uh, at the moment but we've got to be careful about um, uh, picking and choosing who has the right to uh, protest in the town square and if it was something similar to the tenor which we've seen in Wellington it would be a very different story but but here in Dunedin it has uh, largely uh, been peaceful over the last few weeks, but I, I, I certainly acknowledge the, uh, the frustration of, of people for whom uh, using that space, that very public space, uh, is currently no longer an option. Is there a dialogue at the moment? Our, our staff have been in contact with, uh, with organisers there, largely around uh, resolving issues that have come up, and, and those things have been escalated to the to the relevant authorities and and dealt with, but but certainly um, uh, no dialogue that I'm involved in. Okay, um, so um, and is that the way you intend to to maintain your position on this at a distance? Yeah, and, and not much of a distance from the office. Uh, it, uh, it has to be said, um, it, it is a. It is a difficult thing to manage, and 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 look, I, I spent a bit of time in the Octagon in 2011 uh, when uh, the the Occupy movement was a was a thing, and that had trailed off after 66 days uh, or so. Not that this is a challenge uh, that I'm laying down to anyone, but uh, I'd be on shaky ground then, turning around and and taking a different view because. Um, uh, I, I didn't support the message, but uh, we have all sorts of protections in, in legislation and in case law that, um, you know, quite rightly defend the right for people to be able to protest peacefully. If you were aware of any uh, of the concerns that were being raised around the Wellington occupation, um, you know, health and safety and all those kinds of things, would you not be uh, obliged to take action? It would be a very different story if we saw uh, a protest in the octagon that was similar in in tone uh, and, uh, and and tactics to that which we have seen in Wellington. And and um, I think if you're in a situation where like like we could have in Wellington made a, a strong argument that uh, it was an intimidating presence um, that that um, made that made it difficult. Uh, for people, and in, in, in terms of uh, accessing 
or going into it or going through that part of the city, uh, as we saw in Wellington, then that would be different. But that isn't what we've seen, and 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 we haven't seen the uh, the the overt um, uh, references to uh, to to white supremacy and the far right and and others, um, the the various grifters who latched on to the uh, the the protest movement in in Wellington, but. Uh, like I said, if, if that were the case, then we would be having very different conversations with local police, I think. All right. Well, it does sound as though they're there for as long as they want to be then. There will be a, a natural uh, end to this. I think I think what the, 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 the more frustrating part of this is that what they are ostensibly asking for, i.e. the end of vaccine mandates, was always inevitable. It was always uh, designed as an interim measure, and, and as the the response to Omicron evolved, um, it, it seems like the kind of thing that uh, isn't going to be long for this world in terms of in terms of government policy. So uh, that, that has been signalled by the prime minister, which does um, does make you wonder um, what further would need to be done to to satisfy that demand. All right, let's move on. Let's move to Three Waters again. Um, the Accountability and Governance Working Group has made some recommendations to government which seem to, perhaps appease is not the right word, but um, add a, a certain level of comfort to some of the concerns that have been expressed across the country around the reforms. What, what's your view of what you've heard from the Accountability and Governance Working Group? Yeah, so... All uh, all councils gave feedback to government on the proposals as they had been drafted, and, and we've talked about that at length uh, over the last um, six months or so, in particular. And a range of concerns uh, were, you know, beyond beyond the desire from from some elected members and some councils for this not to proceed at all. Uh, we gave um, fairly clear feedback, as others did, around what we thought was missing, uh, what our genuine concerns were uh, in the in the legislation, and and uh, and the government's response was to set up uh, a series of working groups, ones around rural water schemes. Uh, there's one still to come that looks at how it relates to resource management reform, and and this the most the most urgent one was around uh, governance and and accountability, uh, and so um, a group of um, of largely mayors and, and iwi Māori representatives have been thrashing that out over the past three months and and the the report yesterday uh, addresses a number of those uh, of those uh, concerns and, and I hope the minister does take them uh, take them seriously starting with uh, an acknowledgement that our, our communities have been poorly served by uh, the, the quality and quantity of information that's been made available to them. Uh, but but among the recommendations, and it's up to the minister and cabinet as to whether or not they uh, accept them, uh, are stronger protections against privatisation, which is a big concern. That uh, would require now uh, the unanimous support of all councils within uh, within an entity boundary, uh, following uh, formal public consultation in each district. Uh, on top of requiring the support of iwi, which is incredibly unlikely. Um, the ongoing ownership of the assets is spelled out more clearly through the councils becoming shareholders in the entity, which uh, should kill off the misinformation around them being either uh, confiscated by government or, or transferred into iwi ownership, which is um, something we've, we've heard more, uh, more base 
commentary about over the past few months, uh, a greater role for, for communities in terms of having an input into service delivery planning uh, and, and the consumer protection of a, of a water ombudsman, uh, among, among other things. So, you know, those are, those are the big uh, those are uh, the the big concerns that have been raised by councils up and down the the Motu, whether or not those recommendations go enough to satisfy uh, each of those councils' concerns uh, remains to be seen. But this would be uh, integrated, if they were accepted, integrated into the legislation itself, uh, which would then go through the, the formal you know, select committee process where people can make submissions and uh, and amendments can be made and uh, and all the rest of it um, when when that is introduced and as is always the case uh, we may not get everything that we want uh, but I think the the working group report and its recommendations if it is taken seriously and they are by and large adopted uh, demonstrates the value of taking a, a constructive approach rather than a combative one and and our view the council's view is still that. Um, the the reform that reform is necessary, but the the, the development of a model should start again. Uh, but if if government chooses to proceed, they can with this. Uh, it's important that we do what we can to try and shape it in a way that uh, alleviates the genuine concerns we have uh, as much as as much as possible. All right, we'll we'll touch base on that um, again, no doubt. Um, turning to uh, some of the perhaps shall we say more more positive side of, of your responsibilities and that's getting out and about in the community and uh, and welcoming uh, new initiatives. You did have the opportunity to pop out to the Tairi and spend some time at the official launch of the Tairi Network. Um, just uh, your view on, on, on the value of this type of work and the organisations and the people who are working uh, in this community development area. Yes, it's, it's it's hugely important, and and what we what we've learned certainly over the last two years, if nothing else, is the value of community and 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 connection and 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 what that means in terms of being able to survive um, when things get hard, whether that's a a pandemic that stretches on for years or. Uh, natural disasters that might stretch on for weeks or months, or, or indeed um, uh, the the uh, horrific events that we saw at a, a local convenience store in Moskiel only the day before the the launch of the Tyre network out there. Uh, when when things are hard, uh, having stronger communities means that the people living in them uh, are better equipped to um, to to handle that and manage that. Uh, and and one of the things and it's really important to, to us as a, as a council and one of our big uh, objectives in terms of our community social well-being is, is exactly that. It's, it's building stronger communities. Uh, but we, uh, we uh, acknowledged uh, a few years back that we weren't always going to be the best place people to deliver on that. And so uh, we've, uh, we, we set up a, a grant fund that supports uh, groups like the Tyre Network or the Valley Project or the South Indian Community Network to do the work in their own um, in their own neighbourhoods because they are better connected to the people that live there. They better understand the uh, the needs and the aspirations. And uh, sometimes uh, the best thing that that government can do, whether at a central or local government level, is to um, resource that and and empower that and get out of the way and let them get on with it. And certainly looking forward to seeing. Uh, how the how the that project uh, evolves um, out on the tidy. 
Yeah, and I know Lisa de Clark, the community connector there as part of the uh, Tyree network, is keen to um, to learn uh, and uh, hear from residents in the area about the issues that there are for them. So do uh, do check out Tyree Network on the Facebook page and so forth, and you can make appointments to see uh, Lisa on a yeah on an appointment basis. Uh, just finally, Aaron, um, something that occurred, I think, the day after we last spoke was um, the renewal of uh, or reinforcement. I guess of the relationship, the close sister city relationship with Shanghai. Um, tell us, you know, what that was all about, and why these uh, these kind of renewal processes uh, take place from time to time. Yeah, so the, the city has a a, um, a strong sister city relationship with Shanghai that dates back to the 1990s. Uh, it always sort of feels like a David and Goliath situation, but the the, the city of Shanghai takes it very very seriously, uh, and and we have a, a number of um, MOUs and, and arrangements and relationships between institutions, whether it's our, our public libraries or um, Lan Yuan, uh, the Dunedin Chinese Garden with, with Yu Yuan uh, in Shanghai, and and those relationships, like any relationship. Uh, need need maintaining and 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 so the the paperwork if you like is is usually uh, an excuse for uh, for face to face contact and, and an ability to to rekindle those relationships and and build on them uh, that's been incredibly difficult over the last two and a half years uh, for fairly obvious reasons and after having postponed uh, postponed it a number of times uh, we had to settle. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, for having a, a virtual signing, re-signing of the the, the sister city uh, relationship MOU and 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 a number of others uh, that the city holds, and uh, so we gave our speeches and, and signed our documents in the Dunedin Centre and, uh, and 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 waved through the camera uh, at our at our friends and colleagues uh, in Shanghai, um, and you know there has been work going on, obviously. Um, over the last two and a half years, but but nothing nothing replaces the value of of face to face communication, and and certainly uh, on both sides there is a, a desire for that to happen as soon as uh, travel arrangements and and global public health concerns uh, subside. Yeah, we'll be looking forward to welcoming back some international students from Shanghai mm. and elsewhere, of mm. course, too. All right, uh, Aaron Hawkins, Dunedin Mayor, thank you so much again for taking uh, so much time out of your, your morning to join us here on the Awesome Morning Show. Always enjoy your chat. Looking forward to catching up with you again in a fortnight's time. Thanks, Jeff. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.